Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to this next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we have Dr. Ivan Misner. Now, Ivan is the founder of BNI. He's also a New York Times bestselling author and a keynote speaker. Ivan, it's so good to have you with us today. How are you? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me uh, on the podcast, uh, on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was really a treat for me as well, just to be able to connect with you organically on Clubhouse. And I know I was holding space in a leadership room and you, and you were able to join us then. And I was uh, really humbled by your presence. And, and then we involved you in, in a leadership discussion, which was so good. Did you enjoy that experience? I did. I did. It's, it's, listen, this is what I love doing. I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. And when they're in their flame, they're on fire, they're excited, they love what they do. You can hear it in their voice, you can see it in the way they behave. And when they're working in their wax, it just takes all their energy away. And you can see that in the way they behave and you can hear that in their voice. And so having an opportunity to pour into people, to do interviews like this, to talk on Clubhouse in a group, that's my flame. Mm. I love doing it and it was a blast and I appreciate the invite. Yeah, it was a blast. I think it was a win-win and leadership's such a topical uh, conversation, you know, and lots of people are interested and I'm sure I'm going to ask you about leadership as well further into the interview. But I thought I would hit the ground running with you, Ivan, um, because I, I always think it's good just to maximize the opportunity to have have you with us. And uh, I would love to know from your own personal thought process, you know, what makes a great networker for you? Well, the foundation of everything I teach is a process called the VCP process, visibility, credibility, profitability. Um, most people don't get this. Most people use networking as a face-to-face -face cold calling opportunity. And for those who don't know me, I, I founded an organization called BNI. We have 10,000 groups all around the world. So that's why the networking question. Um, I think most people use networking as a face-to-face -face cold calling opportunity. Hi, Mark, my name's Ivan, let's do business. Or here's you know, three copies of my business card. Maybe you'll give one to somebody. And, and I, I kind of came to the conclusion that people use it as a face-to-face -face cold calling opportunity when I was doing a presentation in Europe, large event, 900 people. And I've seen a lot of that cold calling basically taking place. And, and so I don't know what possessed me. I was doing the keynote that day. It was an all day thing. I was doing a keynote and I, out of the blue, opened up with how many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly raise your hand if you want to maybe sell something. Or 900 people raised their hand in the whole <laughs> audience. Like, great. How many of you are here today? Second question, hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly uh, buy something. No one raised their hands. Not one single person. So this is what I call the networking disconnect. People show up wanting to sell, nobody's there to buy. And I think it's the wrong reason to go to a network. So people say, well, then why go? If you're not going to sell something, why go? You go to work your way through the VCP process. You first have to be visible. People have to know who you are. 
and what you do. <clears throat> then you go to credibility, uh, where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it. That one takes time. It takes time to build credibility. Then and only then do you get to profitability, where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to refer you to other people. What tends to happen is that people uh, try to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, and get right to profitability before there's any connection. In one of my books, Mark, we call this a premature solicitation, which mm. you don't want to say fast three times, it'll get you in trouble. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, that's what networking is about. It's about building relationships with people. And if you don't get that right, then, then you're networking. You hate it because it you know, it feels so, so slimy, you know, like mm -hmm. people have just, they go there and sell, sell, sell. Uh, and, and that's why I think a lot of people don't like networking because it's being done wrong to a large extent. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, referrals uh, as well. At, at some point, you kind of wet my appetite once you started uh, talking about that. Um, you know, I think BNI is something that is a household name. I don't know anybody when, when I've said BNI, they haven't known what it is, you know, for you, did you ever believe that BNI would reach like the level it has? Ever? Yes. Uh, in the first 11 months? No. I mean, I'd like to tell you I had this vision of an international organization with 10,000 groups. But the truth is, I just needed some referrals for my consulting practice. And I mm. put together a group uh, to help me get referrals and to help my friends. Because I had a number of people that I really liked and I wanted them to be successful. And um, we only take one person per profession in a chapter. And so a woman came up to me within, you know, six weeks or so of me starting this one group and said, hey, this is great. I can't join though, because my profession's represented. Would you help me open up a chapter? And, and I actually said, no, this isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. But she said, this is kind of consulting. You know, you're helping me build my business. I mean, that's a stretch, but okay. So we opened another chapter and people came to that group and asked me to open another one and another one. And I kept saying, yes, At the end of the year, we had 20 groups and I didn't, I wasn't trying. And I always take time between Christmas and new year's to reflect. And that year I was like, what the heck just happened? Cause this was not part of, I create plans. I want to know where I'm going next year. Where am I going to be in five years? That was not part of my plan. And that's when it hit me. That's when I had my Brody moment. <laughs> do, you, do you remember the movie um, Jaws? Oh, absolutely. My son okay. loves it. You remember Sheriff Brody? Mm -hmm. When he sees the shark for the very first time, he goes running into the captain's uh, cabin, you know, with the wheel. And he, and he says to the captain, we're going to need a bigger ship. <laughs> that was my Brody moment was when I realized, well, this is going to be a way bigger than I thought. And um, I then for the next six months did calculations. I actually had to go to the library. It was before Monsieur Google, where you could just look up anything. <laughs> I went to the library, I checked out books to do populations. And I, I remember thinking, you know, it's possible that someday B and I could have, I think 10,000 chapters. <laughs> and I told a buddy of mine that, it was, by then it was like June of 86, a year and a half in. And he said, uh, and how many chapters do you have now, Ivan? I said, 30. And he said, and you think you could have 10,000? I'm like, yeah, actually I, I do. And sure enough, uh, December of 2020, we crossed the 10,000 chapter mark. Wowza. That's crazy. That Brody moment, I was thinking, you know, it was a good job. It, it was the, you know, I need a bigger ship rather than 
the the kids saying it's just bluefish it's just a shoal of bluefish <laughs> otherwise yeah that could have gone definitely in a different direction i did want to ask you what is the thought behind having one expert in one specific field and yeah. how how do people combat referring to someone that they may not like because that's one thing that having been in bni when i have gone as a guest and i've seen uh, the profile of that and the expectation of referral. I know that's kind of a, a quite a thick question there, but well, there's two questions there. I, I as I hear it, um, why one person per professional category, yep. and, and then what if you don't particularly like the person? Yeah. Uh, so let's deal with the first question. Um, honestly, I did it because I didn't want my competition in the room. I was just in one group, right? So right. I didn't plan on ten thousand, and. I was in many different networks and I wanted to be in a network. There were a lot of things I didn't like about the networks I was in. One of them was my competition was often in the room and I wanted to be able to talk freely without them gleaming ideas from me. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason why I set up um, this group with what, one group with just one person per profession. Now, what if there's someone in the room, there's really what happens more often than you don't like them is that you don't know them and you already have a relationship with someone else. That's way more common. And what I say to people then is keep an open mind because you, you never know um, how good the people are in the room until you've tried them or until you've listened to them. I'll give you a great story. Uh, I, I had someone in the first year say to me, look, I've already I've got a dentist. I like my dentist. I'm never gonna see the dentist in this chapter. And I said to, to, to him, keep an open mind. Just keep an open mind. You never know. And ironically, later that year, his, he called his dentist. He had a, 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 a cavity that was just killing him. He called his dentist and the dentist was on vacation. And so he was going to have to see another dentist. And he said, well, if I'm going to see another dentist anyway, I might as well go to the one in my chapter. So he goes to the one in his chapter. He comes back and I saw him the next week. And he said, oh my goodness, I thought I had a great dentist. The guy in this group is amazing. He spent, before he even started working on my teeth, he spent 30 minutes with me, walking me around, showing me his dental office, introducing me to everybody. I know way more about his practice than the guy I've been seeing for eight years. He said, oh, and this was the most important thing. He said, I'm okay. I'm basically a wuss when it comes to shots. He gave me the closest thing to a painless shot I've ever had in my entire life. I'm never going back to my old dentist. <laughs> so I just say keep an open mind yeah. because you know people who you have a relationship with really want to maintain that relationship or, or have that relationship develop fellow BNI members tend to treat each other really really well and, and do you think that is because it's very much I scratch your back you scratch mine because there is that kind of expectation of giving and receiving it's yeah yes but i want to make sure that people understand that it's not really meant to be a transactional process that it truly is a relational process uh, our principal core value in bni is giver's gain that philosophy of giver's gain and to me giver's gain is more than a phrase it's a way of living one's life it's a perspective to view and interact with the world. It's an attitude, not an expectation. And when it's applied properly, it'll change your life. And when it changes enough lives, 
it will change the world. And that's what I think makes it powerful. Not the, I mean, it just feels transactional. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But giver's gain is a little more relational than that. Make, does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Uh, it's interesting because even just a couple of weeks ago, somebody reached out to me, obviously a new chapter near where I live. And they were like, Mark, would you like to? And I was like, let me explore this. I've actually got going to have uh, your leader of BNI on a podcast. Uh, and they thought it was amazing. So um, I, I understand the principles of, of, of the relationships. And I just think sometimes, at least from my own experience, sometimes it's felt a little less relational and more kind of religious. Um, so that's just, kind we, of, we don't touch religion uh, or politics in, in BNI. Yeah. Not, not religion as in I'm on about religious as in you have to do a certain thing yeah. rather than it being about a belief. Um, yeah. Well, look, um, even great uh, organizations can, people within a great organization can do things wrong. For sure. So um, there are certainly chapters that are uh, more focused on the process than the culture. Uh, and I believe culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture is the secret sauce of a successful organization. And when I have BNI chapters that really immerse themselves in the culture and understand that, um, that, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm -hmm. That then the process can be done easier. And, um, and there is a process. There are, there are rules. There are procedures in BNI. Um, but, you know, you got to have rules. Uh, hockey without rules would be boxing on ice. <laughs> you know, you got to have rules to be successful. So sure. uh, it just needs to be done with tough love. For sure. Yeah. I think it's interesting because obviously with the pandemic uh, and actually people not being able to meet and a lot of networking online as well, I'm sure that's probably changed the the ballpark um, kind of expectation of networking. But I would love to find out from you, Ivan, you know, what, what makes it easier for someone to refer another? Like what sort of person do you feel like you need to be within the business world to actually make it more about the relationship you were talking about? so that people don't actually find it like an obligation, but more heartfelt. Yeah, well, I think the key is uh, educating people how to refer you. Yeah. Uh, that's really the key. <laughs> so your weekly presentations in BNI become critical. It's about me teaching you how to refer me. Um, and so I, I, I try to teach members what I call the language of referrals. Uh, and here's some real easy, basic ones. Uh, it, they almost always start with, I can't, I need, I want, I don't know. So we all have in our minds, <clears throat> there's a part of our brain that's called the reticular activating system that screens out stuff we don't need to hear. Mm. For example, if you're in an airport, I know we're not going to a lot of airports right now, but remember back when you went to airports <clears throat> and you'd hear, there'd be babies crying and people talking and all this noise, but you hear on the speaker, your name. And you go, oh, wait, that was me or uh, your flight number. Oh, wait, that was me. You didn't hear anything else, but you heard that. That's your reticular activating system allowing things to come through because you need to hear those. So um, what you do is you teach people the language of referrals. I can't, I need, I want, I don't know. 
fill in the rest of all of those phrases with things that would be a referral for you. So if you're a computer guy, I can't make this program to work. When you hear that, when you hear that, you that's a referral for the computer person, right? And so each week you talk about one of those. And that sounds counterintuitive. What tends to happen is people try and say everything they do in a minute or less. And that is bad. Instead, being laser specific is way better because if you're meeting every week like we do, now, right now, at this time, it's online, then every week you're educating people. This is how you can refer me. This is what to listen for. And the more you do that, the easier it is for people to actually refer you. I mean, last year, I think we passed 14 million referrals worldwide. 14 million during COVID. Yeah. We, we did 16 billion US dollars worth of business Wonderful. during COVID. Um, I, I think net, your network, I think BNI is a beacon of hope in a sea of fear. We live in crazy times, but your network is your lifeline. Yeah, I I love I love the fact that obviously you know you're the you're the kingpin of BNI, and so I'm trying to draw out as many like philosophies, but also frames that people really need to embrace because. You know, I've been to networking loads, just as I'm sure many people have that are listening and yourself, of course. And you kind of you see you see the good, you see the bad, you see the ugly, you know what you don't want to be and you know what you want to be. And just wanting to take the time just to be able to glean as much from you as possible. I know that you're playing or you decided to play more or less a less active role with BNI. At what point did you... Uh, decide on that one because I've noticed that people that I've interviewed on this podcast that are at the top of their game they've all had a great ability to kind of know when they've reached uh, I guess their natural conclusion of how far they can take something before they then kind of move and shift into other things yeah well that's a great question um you know, people say to me, it must be great to be semi-retired. I'm like, it's, it's incredible. I'm down to 40 hours a week. Um, it's, a, you know, <laughs> I'm still highly engaged in BNI, but I basically ran the company for 30 years. That's, the, that's a long time to run a company. I earned all this gray hair. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I really wanted, I, I told you I sit, I sit down before New Year's every year and, and take a look at my my vision. And when I was in my twenties, I created a life plan. And my plan was that in my twenties, they were my learning years. In my thirties, I was going to pick a lane professionally. In my forties, I was going to strive to be really, really good at that. At my fifties, I wanted to be at the top of my game. This is my 40 year plan. I wrote about it. It's in my blog at ivanmeisner.com. And in my sixties, in my plan back in my twenties, I said to myself, I want to be the elder statesman. I want to be the person that people can come to to get uh, ideas on how to achieve success in whatever field I ended up deciding on, which I didn't know in my early 20s. And so today I kind of view myself as the Colonel Sanders of, of being, you know, I'm, I'm the elder statesman. I love it. So I am not as, I'm not involved in the day-to-day operations, but I'm still highly involved in the company, but I'm completely in my flame as opposed to my wax. And when you are in business, it's okay to reinvent yourself. You know, 30 years ago, 
running the day-to-day -day operations was my flame. It, it, you know, after 30 years, it kind of became my, my wax. I got tired of it. Mm. And, and so I did my best to reinvent myself. And I think that's important for people to know that it's okay to change what you focus on, especially if you love the business. I love this business. I love helping people build their business through referrals. Uh, our vision statement is changing the way the world does business. And I think we're doing that. And I can't think of a better business to be in than the one I'm in. Mm, yes. I think, you know, being conscious of the fact we only have one life uh, and making sure that what we do is, as you said, uh, our flame. I've never heard the flame and the wax thing. I really like that because it really makes a lot of sense. You know, you've achieved a lot in your life, uh, Dr. Ivan. What what really keeps you hungry for more? What is it within you that actually thinks, yeah, I've achieved great success past 10,000 different chapters in BNI, but what, what really is keeping you hungry? I think it's about making a difference in people's lives. It's really that simple. Um, I, 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 many, many years ago, came to the realization that I may not make a world of difference, but I can make a difference in the world. Mm. And for me, it was in those early days about one person at a time. Then it became one chapter at a time. And then one area, one state in the US, then one country. I mean, it was it was really incremental for me. And, um, and it's about constantly, you know, to me, success is like a layer cake. Mm. It's just about putting one layer on top of another layer on top of another layer. And um, I love making a difference in people's lives. And it, I love going, I love speaking and, and having and seeing the light go on in people's eyes, especially mm. when it's a, a large audience. And you see that people just lean in and they're paying attention and taking notes. Um, there's just nothing more gratifying to me than to have people uh, be inspired by something I say. Mm. That's, that's the, the message for me. And, you know, before you draw your, your last breath on earth, uh, Ivan, is, is there something that you feel like you want to achieve that you haven't? You talked about how... In your 20s, you always had like a life plan uh, and had different objectives when you hit your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. You know, is there something within you that's still burning bright that feels unfulfilled? Feels unfulfilled. I wouldn't say that. I would say I have more to contribute. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely have a lot of books in the works, uh, several uh, simultaneously working with co-authors. So I have more to contribute. I think... Um, my mid to my mid sixties and seventies, it is about enjoying life mm. for me and continuing to contribute. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely want to continue to tr contribute how that is. I'm not entirely sure, probably more books, more interviews like this. Uh, I, I really, I read a, a quote in my, again, in my twenties by Jean-Paul Sartre that is powerful to me. And I'm going to use it in a book I'm working on now called Infinite Legacy. It goes like this. I'm, I'm going to modify it ever so slightly. Um, we all die too soon or too late. And yet our life is complete at that moment with a line drawn neatly under it 
ready for the summing up. We are our deeds in life and little more. And so I believe your life is your legacy. It's how you live your life. It's how you treat people. It's how you pour into other people. That is the legacy that you leave behind. And you don't have to be wealthy. You don't even have to be successful by other people's standards to leave that kind of legacy. Mm. And that's what I want to leave. That's beautiful. Yeah, I like that one. If Ivan Risner didn't exist, why would the world have to create you? <laughs> okay, I've been doing this a long time. I haven't been asked that question. <laughs> I think, I don't think the world would have to, but I think someone would step up to do the kinds of things that I've contributed to the world. I, I know I'm not the only person that can do these things. Um, there, I have seen many people in my organization that have done just as many amazing things as, as I've been able to contribute to. Um, someone would do it. If, if I sound like I'm not sure how to answer that, because you're the first person to ever <laughs> ask me the question that way. I, think, I honestly think somebody would step up. Yeah. I just happen I, to be in the right place at the right time. That one's probably going to play on your mind for a little while. And it you, you, is. You'll I'm, probably I'm come back be, to me. <laughs> I'm going to be working on that one. Um, yeah. I, know, I know that you love leadership like me. What is the greatest quality where you believe this has given you your greatest result? Well, I think one of the, and we talked about this uh, in, in um, um, Clubhouse. <clears throat> I think one of the things that a, a leader needs to do is to focus on solutions, not problems. Uh, it's easy to focus on problems. And that's what the world is just focusing on too much. If all you do is focus on problems, you become an expert at the problem. Mm. But you have to learn how to focus on solutions. You have to understand the problem. And then and then set that aside and focus on the solution to that problem, not obsess about the problem. And all too often I've seen people in leadership who are obsessed with the problems. I've seen people even more often who aspire to leadership, but rarely make it because they're so focused on the problem, they can't come to the solution and be the great leader that they can be. And so I think that's probably the number one, but culture is another one. I think a leader has to be a culture champion. Um, you have to be the one constantly talking about the core values of the organization, the vision of the organization, the mission uh, of the organization. And I think, uh, I think you need to care about people. Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so um, I think those are some important ones. I've learned things. I, th I know I shared it in clubhouse from, um, I studied under Warren Bennis at the University of Southern California, contextual intelligence, understanding the context of the problem, mm -hmm. adaptive capacity, being able to adapt to the challenges of the problem. Uh, and uh, John, John Maxwell is a good friend mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, probably no greater author on leadership today Agreed. Than, than John. He's just amazing. Uh, and I think 
anyone who hasn't read his books, his books should immediately go pick up one of them, especially the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and read yeah. it. Yeah, I've got all his books on my bookshelf. Like, yeah. yeah, really like John Maxwell very much in terms of how he how he comes across uh, and what he says makes a lot of sense. And yeah, really has like for me when I think of leadership, I always do think of uh, him for sure. And now, I've seen him in yeah. action. He is he is in fact a very very good leader. Yeah. Which is which is what you want, isn't it? Because if yeah. somebody's writing books, you really want them to be good at what they say. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend who's in the self help field, and she talks about some of the people in self help, and she says, uh, "Well, a lot of them are um, uh, take my advice. I'm not using it." <laughs> yeah, John is not that. No, John is using it. Yeah, I like that. I know that you are a black belt in karate, and some people won't know that. Can you see some of the disciplines within martial arts playing out in your, maybe your decision-making, the way that yeah. you frame things? No question about it. Uh, one of them, and we probably don't have enough time for me to give you the whole story. I'll see if I can do a Reader's Digest version, is I did, when I was a brown belt, brown belts are dangerous because they think they know a lot, <laughs> and they don't. They realize that a first-degree black belt is a beginner which is true because the first it takes as long to go from white belt to first degree as it does to go from first degree to second degree. And my, my Shihan was a seven, which is a master sensei was a seventh degree black belt. Hmm. And I, I was a brown belt. He told me uh, he wanted me to bunk I akata, which is, you know, I heard him say that and I'm like, uh, bless you, Shihan, what, what is that? I want you to break a kata down to its individual parts. And there was this, um, I said, yeah, fine. He said, pick your best kata, the one you know really well. I picked one called Wansu. And there was this move where you go like this. And he said, why are you doing that? And I said, because it looks cool. And man, he got mad. He got really mad. He said, no, you don't, you don't do that because it looks cool. And he showed me what it was. I, you know, I just thought it was a, a move to set up for the next move when actually it was an arm lock. And he showed me how the arm lock worked. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea. And I was just in the beginning of the kata. And he walked me through the kata step after step. And there's so much more. I was a brown belt. I told him that was my best kata. But the truth is, Mark, I learned it for the first time <laughs> that day. So your question was, what have you learned from martial arts? I think every field has hidden elements. And that was the lesson he had for me that day was that the martial arts have hidden elements <clears throat> and that you literally, not figuratively, figuratively, you literally go through the motions until you understand the hidden element. And that in whatever profession we're in, when we understand the hidden elements, then we can really master that profession. And that's one of the most important lessons I learned from martial arts is that there are hidden elements. And when we master them, we really master the profession or the art yeah i always love i always love that that things in our everyday or sports or martial arts they can really educate us about business and ourselves you know i i play a lot of football soccer uh, for yeah. the guys in north america and you know whenever there's a corner everybody pushes forward and then once the goalkeeper catches it 
Uh, we all have to reset and it's, you know, everybody has their position. You all need to get into the right frame in order to be able to then take on the next phase. And, and it's so important that we know our position. We talked a little bit about our lane, you know, and focusing on the one thing that you're good at, you know, and being a master of that. And I love the fact that we can take something like martial arts or, or football or soccer and being able to draw some some parallels that have a, have a deeper deeper meaning. My my last question for you, and then I'm going to just ask if there's anything that you want to share. Uh, but my last question for you today, uh, Dr. Ivan, is if you could uh, sit down, maybe have a cup of tea, coffee, sandwich with someone living or dead, who, who would that be and, and why? Nelson Mandela, uh, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, um, both men that uh, I truly admired, uh, one, uh, you know, while he was alive. I think they changed the world and they did it um, through nonviolence. Um, they were truly focused on solutions. They recognized very clearly the problems that existed and they focused on the solutions in the world. Um, I think those are two amazing individuals that um, I, I would have loved to have sat down and had a, had a cup of tea with and, and talked to. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by like, people like yourself who have achieved, who then like uh, would be affected by the way that other people would be affected by you. So I always find it quite fascinating, the sort of people that people share. And obviously those two, Nelson Mandela and Mahatma Gandhi, you know, very well-known profile for what they did for humanity and and some of their own suffering as well and and how that's kind of, you know, we hear a lot about servant leadership, you know, these days, you know, heartfelt leadership, people actually care, um, you know, it, the cause becomes greater than their own individual agenda, which I think is kind of epitomized by those two, isn't it? It, re it really is. And, you know, a contemporary um, who I have had a chance to spend a fair amount of time with uh, is uh, Sir Richard Branson, an amazing gentleman. And, you know, I, when I first met him 14 years ago, I really felt that I was good at networking. Man, he's incredible. And here's where he's really incredible. At least two things. One is, it doesn't matter who's around him. When he's talking to you, he gives you his undivided attention, which I think is incredible because oftentimes he's in a room with you know, millionaires. And the second thing is he doesn't care if he's talking to a millionaire or a day laborer, he treats them the same. And he goes out of his way to thank the people around wherever he is for the service they're giving. Mm. And I've seen him do that. I've seen him walk into a party and go over to the two maids who are standing in the corner, like, oh my God, and walk before he said hi to anyone, walk over to the two maids and say, thank you so much for everything you're doing here today. This is a really important party to me. And I appreciate you. Love that. And they're like in shock. But what I learned from that is you have to make sure to go out of your way to show gratitude to everyone in that room, not just the people that have the money, but the people who are serving and helping. And he's, he's a master at that. And I'm going to have a chance to go see him again in a few months. So I'm looking forward to it. Beautiful. Yeah. Sounds good. 
So Ivan, how do people find out more about you? How do they connect? Um, and is there anything else that you've got burning that you want to say uh, before we end the interview? Sure. So uh, yeah, IvanMeisner.com is my blog. I've been uh, blogging for the last 14 years. I've got hundreds, probably over a thousand blogs up there. One of the very first ones was my visit to Richard Branson on Necker Island. So go way, way back, 2007, you'll find it. Um, IvanMeisner.com and of course, BNI.com. We have 10,000 chapters all over uh, the world. Everything on my blog is free, so go check it out. Uh, one other topic, uh, I'll, let me leave you with this one. You know the old phrase, it's not what you know, it's who, it's who you know. Yes. I don't believe it's either of them. I don't believe it's what you know or who you know that counts. It's how well you know each other that really makes a difference. Because you could pick up your phone, you could pick up your phone and, and you may have amazing contacts in there. But the question is, if you picked it up and called that person, would they take your call? And if you ask them for a favor, would they be willing to do the favor? So it's not just who you know, it's how well you know each other that really counts. Are they willing to help you in some way? And that's what networking is all about. In my mind, it's mm -hmm. about building relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. Networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. Mm -hmm. Like it. Love it been a great interview uh ivan really enjoyed your your frame and your stories and your knowledge and wisdom and really pleased that we're able to do this interview with you and i look forward to continuing uh, our connection and uh, i hope you have a, a great rest of your day my pleasure anytime thank you mark thank you thank you for joining this episode with me mark sefton i hope you've really enjoyed it feel free to leave us a positive review on itunes and I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.